As a congregation, we're now entering into a new home visit season. And for this home visit season, the passage that was chosen was 1 Peter 2, verse 9a. And so in connection with that, as we begin this new season, let's read together from 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll be reading the verses 1 to 10. You'll be able to find that on page 1391 of your pew Bible. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy." So far, the Word of God. In connection with this, it was decided to combine this passage with Lord's Day 1 for our home visit season. And so we'll be reading from the first question and answer of Lord's Day 1 as well, which you can find on page 517 of your books of praise. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own but belong with body and soul both in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life, and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. So we'll be keeping in particular in mind those words from 1 Peter 2, 9a, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this people, this chosen people, that Peter is writing about are a people that is struggling with hopelessness. This letter of 1 Peter was written, as we see in the introduction, it was written to pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. 
These were fairly new Christians who had expected Christ's return maybe a little bit sooner than they currently were facing. But over the decades that they've been Christians, they haven't so much seen the return of Christ as seen mounting opposition towards them. They've been spreading the good news of the gospel to those around and sure, there might have been a burst of growth for a while, but they're also facing opposition from those who are around them. They're facing persecution. Now, they're not under the full fury of persecution yet that they'll soon be facing. They're not feeling the effects yet of Emperor Nero, who was stepping up to power. But even so, locally, they were facing all kinds of opposition. They were facing it from Jews. They were facing it from local government officials. All kinds of people were standing against them. And we can see from 1 Peter 4, verse 12, that they thought it was strange. There was a strangeness to this fiery trial which they were facing. He said there, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Peter was trying to encourage them during this time and show them that this wasn't something that was unexpected. It wasn't something that was strange. He was encouraging a people that was struggling with hopelessness. Your suffering has purpose, he says. And his purpose is to purify you, to show you the genuineness of your faith, and to confirm in your heart who you are and whose you are. And this is where we get into our passage for today. Our theme, chosen in Christ. And we'll see first of all the living stone, then the stone of stumbling, and finally the precious cornerstone. In the first words of our text, we read the words, you are God's chosen people. Now, as we saw a moment ago, they would have had a difficult time understanding that considering the trials and sufferings they were facing. This was encouragement that they so desperately needed. Just prior to our passage in 1 Peter 1 verse 5, Peter has affirmed the promises that they received from God. He's told them that God has, according to his abundant mercy, let them be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He goes on to explain the fullness of what this resurrection means. And we can see the richness in these first few verses of 1 Peter. The same words, actually, that he uses are found drawn into our Lord's Day that we looked at this morning as well. That they were bought not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood. Because of the fact that they were bought, that they were being born again through Christ's resurrection, they are being given an incorruptible and undefiled inheritance which is being kept in heaven, says Peter. 
And so, he says, the believers in the diaspora are being kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is important for those people in the diaspora, for those Christians who are scattered throughout the Roman world. It was important for those who felt shaky and alone. Imagine you're suffering hostility to this degree and you receive these words. What a comfort that would be. Because of that, we read in 1 Peter 1 verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials, the the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Their suffering was not without purpose, he says. They could still recognize themselves as being chosen because their suffering was showing that they were being tested so that the genuineness of their faith might be made known to all. They have received the revelation of Jesus Christ. This was long prophesied and has now been confirmed through miracles. They've seen things that angels long to look into. All of this points to their special position. That God had singled them out, out of all the nations of the world, out of their friends and neighbors. That he was giving them the strength to bear through. The strength as his chosen ones. Now at this point in time, it might be easy to think, well that's great for them, but what does this mean for me? How can I get this kind of assurance? Well that's where verse 4 of our passage becomes interesting, isn't it? What do we find there? There we read, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So why is this significant for us? We're so far departed from these people who are in the ancient Roman world. How is this significant for us? How do these words apply? Notice the word that's being used here. The first word that we find in those verses is coming to him as a living stone. It's an active word, coming. It's not just a past tense of something that has happened, but it's ongoing. This is significant because it's what happens to those who have been chosen. Such people aren't stagnant. They don't simply stand there. But coming to Jesus as a living stone, recognizing that though he was rejected by men, he is chosen and precious, something happens to us as well. And it's something that's ongoing today. The picture that he grants is one that's of a house that's in the process of being built up, a spiritual house. A temple. Jesus himself is the cornerstone of this house. Those who come to Jesus as the living stone are being built into a spiritual house. This makes us special. We come not because we ourselves had anything good in us, 
Now, because we ourselves had things to offer as stones that stood out from the rest. But we come because the master builder has called us and chosen us. And we come to Jesus as our Messiah. Each of us is taken and shaped and molded as we come to him in order that we can become living pieces of something that's much bigger together. Living stones of a house. This is one reason why believers don't worship separately. We don't seek God merely as individuals. But when we're chosen, we're brought together to worship God, united in spirit and truth. Those who have Jesus as the cornerstone of their lives have truly come across something precious. And just as he is chosen for this task, we too are chosen for a task. We are joined with him into a living building, a building whose sole purpose is the worship of God. Having worked with the metaphor of the house of God, Peter moves on to the next idea. Because, he says, not only are these people building blocks within the house, they're not just limited to being chosen stones that are being built on that foundation stone, that cornerstone of Jesus Christ. But they also serve as priests within this house. Priests in this house of God. As chosen children of the king, they serve as a royal priesthood, bringing worship to him. Those who have confessed that Jesus is Lord have the privilege of belonging to a new people, a people that is God's special possession. However, this is not the only thing that Peter wants to bring forward in this passage. We're much more than just passive building blocks. And we can see that with the words that we find following in our passage. Therefore, it's also contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will be by no means put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Reading these words, though, we also see what follows. And we find it pretty shocking. I think if we look back, we can find the foundational idea of these verses already in verse 3 of our passage. We see the command at the beginning of chapter 2 saying, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, it's those words with this section of the rejection of the cornerstone, it's those words, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious that I want to focus on for a moment. So hold on to that thought. Jumping ahead, still keeping those words in mind, we see that the words of our passage calling us a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, are not the first time that these words are found in Scripture. We also find these words in Exodus 19 verse 6. And that's incredibly important. The context of Exodus 19 verse 6 is one where God is also bringing together a new people. 
Here God has just led his people out of slavery in Egypt under Moses. And at this point, they weren't yet an official nation. They were just a rabble of slaves that were wandering through the desert. But it was at this time that God made this declaration that they truly became a nation. He had chosen them. He had given them a code of laws by which to follow him. He had granted himself as their national God and they as his special people. And so he declared to them, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But what became of this? Well, we saw in verses 6 to 8 that we are looking at, and that draws this together, that they rejected him in disobedience. He became to them a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled being disobedient to the word. The Jews, as a nation, had rejected God. Time and time again, they had turned away from their position as a special people and a chosen nation. Time and time again, God had sent people to warn them, but they had beaten some, killed others, and driven away the rest. Finally, God had sent his very own son. But instead of receiving him, they were offended by his message, and so they conspired together to kill him. Christ had become for them the stone over which they stumbled and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they were disobedient to the word of God. So reading this, we might ask Peter, what becomes of this then? We see a people that were chosen. We see a, a people that were enjoying God's favor, but they have been rejected now where does this leave us does this mean our choosing can get thrown into doubt so quickly this is a cautionary tale but it's also an encouraging one Peter by saying these promises that you have received are true if you have tasted that the Lord is gracious is telling us more than simply to doubt Rather, he's telling them that those who are chosen will react to that. And those who are chosen have reacted to that. It's an if that is part of an if-then idea. It's not questioning their eternal salvation, but it's explaining what being chosen by God looks like and how that contrasts. You could almost read this passage as, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, assuming that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Because those who do not would never desire the pure milk of the word in the first place. It's a similar sentiment to the one you find in 1 John 1, 6-7. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. A natural consequence to having put our faith in Christ is that we seek the light. That we come to Jesus as the living stone. That we are living stones, active among the people of God. Because it's God 
who is driving this all and working it in us by His Spirit. What we find in verses 6 to 8 then is not something to throw us into doubt. But they are a cautionary word to those who assume that they are chosen but do not live it out. In today's theology, we call that covenantal automatism. It's the assumption that simply being born into the covenant, simply by being born into the covenant, you have fully tasted the goodness of Jesus Christ and can rest content. But more than just being born into a privileged position is necessary for us to reflect on. We actually have to believe as well. He shows that such people existed in Israel among the physical people of God, those who were born into a privileged position. But because of their practical rejection of Christ, because His person and commands were offensive to them, they stumbled. You can see that this is similar to the language that we find later in Romans. Paul is speaking there about the nation of Israel, and he says, not all Israel is Israel. By that he means that there are a people, a chosen remnant that are within the nation of Israel that he has guided. So we can see that there is faithfulness of God towards those whom he has chosen. But there's also a response that he works in our hearts. That being said, it's not those who stumble that are the focus of this passage. The focus of this passage is on those who do believe in Christ, who do rejoice in being living stones, joined together in worship of our one true God. Because you have to remember that Peter's not just writing to anyone. He's writing to believers who are struggling under growing persecution across the Roman Empire. Believers from Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They're desperately looking for hope and encouragement. And Peter brings it to them. In contrast with those who had rejected Jesus Christ. In contrast with those who were within Israel, the nation of Israel who had rejected Jesus Christ, that group. He said, no, you're the ones who are coming to him. You're the ones who have embraced him. You're the ones who, as a result, are now being built as living stones into a new temple. You're a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, offering up spiritual sacrifices. Your worship, your prayers, your service, your lives that are being made acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For such believers who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Christ has become to them the chief cornerstone, elect and precious. And he who believes in him will never be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Because for you who believe, you belong to him. You are his chosen generation, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. We who were once far from God, who defied him in unbelief, have been brought near 
We've been chosen by him, who were once not a people, but now are the people of God. We have been chosen who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if he is the cornerstone of your life, this is true for you. If you cling to this, you can read these words with full assurance, full confidence that they apply to you. You can remain fully confident that if you consider as your only comfort in life and death your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, that you do belong to Him, body and soul, in life and death. And you'll never be put to shame. For those of you who are unsure, take comfort in this. Because even now, even here today, he's here. He'll hear you when you call. And he'll answer if only you turn to him. Today is a Sunday that comes before, before one of the most treasured holidays of the year next to Christmas. Thanksgiving Monday. Thanksgiving is a day in which Canadians across the country are looking over the season, back over this past season, and reflecting on what they have to be thankful for. Now, of course, today's Thanksgiving is a pretty secular event, and you can see it splashed across the advertisements of, uh, of different stores across the country. It's a time when people say, I'm thankful for family, for friends, for food in my belly and a roof over my head. But the question of to whom they are thankful doesn't really come to mind. However, it was not always so. At its establishment as a Canadian holiday on November 6, 1879, the one to whom everyone ought to be thankful for, to, was accepted without question. Governor General of Canada, Vincent Massey, made it even more official when he nailed down the day on which it was to be celebrated in 1957, saying that it was to be a day of general thanksgiving to Almighty God for the bountiful harvest with which Canada has been blessed. In our Canadian Reformed Church today, we'll be celebrating that with a lot of joy tomorrow because we recognize that we recognize to whom we ought to be thankful and we honor Him as Almighty God. But more than that, let's not only honor Him as Almighty God who brought in the harvest. Let's honor Him as our God, the one who has called us out of the darkness into His marvelous light through Jesus Christ, His Son. Tomorrow, remember who you are and whose you are, that you belong to the one who has called us. And you belong to him as his own special people. Amen.